0: You're listening to High Temperature Times, your source for updates on all things refractory. My name is Griffin Patterson, and I'm an application specialist with Harbison Walker International, a member of Calderas. As I'm sure you're all very much aware, it's Shark Week. And if you're anything like me, you spent a good block of your childhood tuned into the Discovery Channel, watch people dive with great whites, learning about megalodons and other cool sharks, and seeing the sharks roll in the aquatic ecosystems. But you won't just find sharks in the ocean. You can find them in the refractory industry, too. That's why, this month on HTT, we're bringing an application specialist for Tundas Applications, Fred Adkins, to talk about HWI's new offering to the steel industry, JAWS. But before we sink our teeth into that, let's take a bite out of our technical marketing inbox. Remember, if you have a question for the podcast, shoot us a message at technical-marketing at thinkhwi.com and use the subject line podcast to get featured on the show. This month's question comes from Byron Farrell, asking, I'm trying to improve the thermal efficiency of my vessel to reduce carbon emissions is there a problem with just adding additional or or better insulation to my vessel? Well, first off, good on you. I do love when companies put extra focus on industrial carbon footprints. Of course, higher efficiency also means less energy slash fuel costs, so that's a double win. But I will encourage you to look at your overall thermal profile with a finer tooth comb. Reducing shell temperature via better insulation can also increase the mean temperature in the working lining. This can potentially reduce the overall lifetime of your refractory and lead to more downtime. Aside from that, recognize that the insulation does have some pretty serious diminishing returns. As you get to lower and lower temperatures, the atmospheric temperature outside the vessel can have a greater effect on efficiency than any insulation you could throw at it. Anyways, keep on fighting the good fight and know that we're on your side looking at the same questions you are. Thanks for the question and keep sending them our way. All right, let's get back in that cage and find us some great whites. The man diving with me today is application specialist, Fred Atkins. Welcome, Fred.
1: Hey, Griffith. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Now, you joined us on HGT before with the Steel Market Roundtable, but that was a very different environment and uh, quite a long time ago. So uh, maybe care to tell me a little bit about yourself and your role at HWI?
1: Yeah, sure, Griffith. I am the uh, current application specialist slash market manager. Um, for uh, Tunnishes, dealing mainly with Tunnish applications in the Application Technology Group, uh, I've been in this current role, I guess you could say, for probably um, the last uh, tw- twelve years. Been with the company for a total of seventeen years now.
0: It's quite a tenure. <laughs> now, before we get into the background, the science, and the improvements, can you maybe set the stage by telling us a little bit about what the Jaws system is?
1: Yeah. So Jaws is the latest technology evolution in Tunnish impact pads. Uh, it gives steel steelmaker improved tundish flow distribution with increased plug flow, reduced scale of internal eddy formation, refined turbulence control, and enhanced flow release. It gets its name because of the geometry of the refractory of the shape. It forms little teeth-like features on the overhanging surface of the walls.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a lot, and I promise we'll dig into that as much as we can in a bit. But since this is a podcast and not a show-and-tell, It might be good for you to describe what a typical Tundish impact pad might look like and how this JAWS system looks compared to it.
1: Sure, okay. Um, So generally speaking, many Tundish impact pads are basically precast refractory shapes that consist of a base with walls extending upward from the periphery of the base. At the top of these walls, there is an overhang or lip that extends inwards towards the center of the base. Uh, Informal names that refer to the geometry of the shape of these types include such terms as bird baths or dog wolves, if that gives you a clearer picture. Very much. The overhanging surface on top of the walls redirects the steel flow coming into the pad and turns the stream over on itself. Essentially, the incoming stream from the ladle makes a U-turn, reducing the velocity of the stream inside the shape. Now, while JAWS does consist of a a base periphery uh, walls and an overhang, the key features are the annular portions that extend inward and upward Upwardly or vertically, starting where the base meets the bottom of the wall and continues up the walls. These features form multiple vertical internal channels. The annular portions extend from the bottom of the overhang or lip to where they run on an axis parallel to the base of the shape. The annular portions end abruptly at the end of the overhang, which form the teeth-like features from what the shape gets its name.
0: Right, so the, the idea of that, I guess, to maybe put it in my own layman terms is instead of creating basically one massive eddy in that, in that impact pad, the teeth make it like a bunch of smaller eddies, which I guess are more manageable within the the flow of the system.
1: Uh, Correct. Yeah. And we can get into that a little later, but essentially you're correct. The, the uh, vertical portions, the annular vertical portions and the teeth um, that, that form on the overhang act like little knives that take that large scale eddy coming from the tundish and cut it down and forms in the channels between the annular portions of the shape that make the flow um, easier to dissipate or control, especially if you have a little bit of shroud misalignment. It, it works yeah. really good with that.
0: Cool, 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 cool. Uh, I, I, think it, I think it's going to be important to lay a little groundwork here. Um, after all, there's a lot to the refractory industry beyond steel making, despite what some people would have you believe. Um, tundishes, right, in general... Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Fred, they're, they're using continuous casting processes for steel, they receive the molten steel from a teeming ladle and deliver it into the mold at, at a more regular throughput, right? I miss anything there?
1: Uh, yeah, a lot. <laughs> I guess you could say the, in, the initial purpose of the Tundish was to function as a holding vessel in the advent of continuous casting way back in the 50s. Um, it conversed with it essentially as a batch production process, where, again, you're melting and refining steel heat by heat from a furnace to a ladle, ladle by ladle, into more of a continuous process of the caster, where the tundish does act like a reservoir to continually deliver steel to the casting mold while ladle is being changed.
0: Okay, but it, it's more than just a holding vessel, right? So what other role does it play then, especially in the modern day?
1: Yeah, so, again, since I mentioned, since the advent of continuous casting, the tundish has evolved from a holding vessel into more of a a refining vessel. Uh, Above all, the primary function is to deliver the steel to the mold at the caster at a uniform rate and temperature. But we also study the molten steel flow patterns in a tundish in order to optimize tundish performance and to help our customers make the cleanest steel possible.
0: I mean, you you say it's a refining vessel as Well, isn't that what the teaming ladle is? Isn't that a refining vessel?
1: Uh, Yeah, kind of absolutely. So as the evolution of steelmaking Formed, it, it was kind of like we did all the metallurgy or refining work in a, in a um, in a EAF or B O F. Um, that has evolved to further refining into the uh, refining into the ladle, and now it has evolved to where we're in the furnace it's, it's essentially getting steel out. It's 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 tap the tap times that we're doing or refining in the ladle, but the tundish offers us uh, another area in the steel making process to further refine the ladle. We're not doing so much uh, alloying additions or anything like that, like we do in ladles, but we are looking at the metal flow patterns, refining and optimizing them to, we're not, um, we're not number one, introducing any additional inclusions or reoxidation, but we're also um, trying to, any kind of ladle carry over slag or um, uh, tramp elements, inclusions that we get from the ladle, we're trying to optimized flow in the way in the tundish, where we give these inclusions a greater chance to flow out into the steel slag interface.
0: Yeah, I guess refining is a really simple word to describe a really complex process. And besides, if you were to have two hours to refine steel versus one hour to refine steel, I imagine the more time can only be good.
1: Yeah, that is correct. And we can get <laughs> into that a little later as far as uh, residence time and, uh, and other key factors that, that allow control that.
0: So, so that ladle would would rest above the tundish, pour its contents in, and then you know after going through the tundish, the slide gates and stopper rods would control the flow of the tundish material as it pours into the molds. But the tundish is is never empty. It's not like it's just it holds from the ladle and then empties. It's supposed to always remain full. If it was empty, that would be bad, right?
1: Yeah, correct. So technically, um, the only time the tundish should be completely empty is at the beginning of a sequence or right before the tundish receives its first heat. Or ladle. Um, the ladle will open and begin to fill the tundish. Uh, and then once a certain uh, predetermined volume of steel has been filled into the tundish, the flow control devices, um, such as the gates and or stopper rods, or could be metering nozzles um, that, that you've mentioned, they control the flow rate from the tundish into the mold. Ideally, it's desired that a tundish remain at a constant steel bath height. So the steel entering the tundish Uh, From the ladle matches the steel exiting the tundish going into the mold. Bath height is important because of the head pressure of the liquid steel, you know, pushing steel into the mold throughout the flow control devices. You want to maintain a constant head pressure there. So that's why the bath height is so important. Uh, This is a condition where the throughput into the tundishes matches the throughput out of the tundish. We refer to this as a steady state operations uh, and unfortunately, the tundish cannot remain at steady state forever, right? Uh, once the ladle is being emptied, a, a new ladle moves above the tundish in the casting position. Of course, this takes time. So naturally, the tundish bath level lowers until the new ladle is opened up. And this is an operating condition during a ladle exchange uh, that's happening where anytime the bath level of the tundish is not at a constant height, uh, this is what we refer to as transient state. Transition times from transient state to steady state may differ. Um, If a new ladle and the old ladle are the same grade, the steelmaker will want to go up from a transient state or lower level in the tundish to a steady state um, to maintain ideal casting condition as soon as possible. Now, if the new ladle and the old ladle are dissimilar grades, the steelmaker will likely want to drain as much steel out of the tundish as possible before opening up the new ladle with a different grade in it. Steady state and transient state are two areas of concentrations when optimizing tundish performance. Generally speaking, transient states can offer the largest area of improvement. So we look at things like turbulence when filling at higher rates, tundish train levels, intermixing of different grades within a tundish, etc. cetera. Uh, we look at all these different factors and, and more when doing tundish flow optimization studies.
0: So a bit of a silly question here, but given the fact that the tundish is not going to be emptied, the impact pad is actually submerged underneath the 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 molten steel during the uh the filling process yeah
1: so one of the things we look at is is the initial filling within uh within our models um when it's it's basically the only time when the tundish pad is not uh completely submerged during the casting sequence so and the reason why we look at this is for any kind of initial splashing that may present a a safety concern and something we take very seriously when designing our, our our tundish pads uh, we don't want to see any um, significant uh, splashing um, that may all occur right. when you're when you're pouring into a brand new tundish. But other than that, um, yeah, generally speaking, the tundish pad is submerged at essentially all levels, in, in, including that uh, transient state.
0: But that's still, I mean, there's still a big advantage to impact pads in that case because you're still getting underwater eddies from the impact of the the new molten steel coming from the teeming ladle into the semi-full tundish like that, that's still a big variable correct
1: oh absolutely and 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 you bring up a great point because actually those 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 eddies that you may see at or the turbulence nature of the ladle stream that you may see at a steady state is increased significantly when, when you bring the level of the tundish down to where the bath height is the height of the, the top of the tundish bath is closer to the top of the tundish bowl formation. So again, that's right. one of the things we look at too at lower levels. You're going to see increased, uh, turbulence.
0: Okay. So jaws, man, I want to put some kind of shark sound effect in there, but I mean, what even is a shark sound effect, right? <laughs> Anyways, I, I, I digress. Uh, jaws is, it's an impact pad that, um, in front of, from what I read in the literature, uh, I see it improves minimum residence time, uh, promotes surface flow. It, increases tundish volume utilization and, uh, and slag flotation efficiency. Uh, that's, I, I mean, just for me alone, that's a lot to digest. Can you walk us through what those variables are and, uh, and what they mean? Sure.
1: Starting with, uh, residence time, I guess we'd start there. Uh, minimum residence time is the shortest residence time of any fluid element. Uh, it's desirable for the minimum residence time to be as large or as long as possible to restrict the size of, of the largest inclusion that may be carried from the inlet of the Tundish or ladle shroud in most cases to an outlet strand. It is also a measure of the shortest amount of time any inclusion can spend in the Tundish bath. Again, we wanna increase the minimum residence time to re- promote the inclusion flotation. Uh, the longer the minimum residence time, the more time for inclusions to float out. One way we measure minimum residence time in our models is by injecting a dye or tracer solution into the stream, going into the tundish, and timing how long it takes for the dye or tracer to reach the tundish outlet or outlets. Uh, We use instruments to measure the dye concentration over time, which allows us to generate RTDs, or residence time distribution curves, that define not only our minimum residence time, but also give us peak residence time. Peak residence time is defined as the highest concentration of dye or tracer measured by our instruments. Peak resonance time is also the most probable resonance time of any fluid element. Again, like minimum resonance time, we want this to be as large as possible to promote inclusion flotation. So, I guess you could say resonance time and slag flotation efficiency kind of go hand in hand, uh, but we also look at inclusion flotation efficiency by ejecting a slurry of inclusions uh, into a Tundish or water model. These quote-unquote inclusions are comprised of a polymer powder granules that are sized appropriately to mimic non-metallic oxides in a tundish that would range in size from about 40 to 180 microns. The results of this test are expressed in the amount of powder granules that are collected in the tundish model outlet or strand. Obviously, the less amount of powder collected, the more the geometries of the tundish are optimized. Okay, so volume utilization. I guess the easiest way to look at volume utilization... Um, is more visually than objectively or quantitatively. Uh When the dye is injected into a tundish water model, you want to see the dye fully disperse itself within a tundish so there are no areas of the bath with clear water. Uh, the areas of clear water indicate areas where very low flow or dead zones are happening. Um, these areas that in reality could be cold steel zones or where the steel becomes very viscous and could potentially lead to increase scrap rates when casting multiple grades during a sequence. Uh, One of the ways we look at uh, surface turbulence flow is by forming a layer of dyed oil on top of the water in a physical tundish model. The oil represents the slag layer that rests upon a steel bath in reality. During the simulation, the tundish, bath, or steel level is lowered to mimic the conditions of ladle exchange or transient state. Then we simulate the tundish refill up to steady state by filling the model with water at a rate consistent with the customer's current steel making practices. We observe the turbulent flow during refill, paying special attention to how the oil layer interacts with the water or steel bath. Ideally, you want the oil level to remain as calm and intact as possible. Uh, This translates to less slag emulsification and steel reoxidation in the real world casting practices.
0: I think really, just to sort of wrap my head around it, the idea is for the impact pad to promote good flow everywhere in the Tundish, at every single nook and cranny in the Tundish, but also to have it take as long as possible to move from the impact pad to the to the stopper rods, I guess. Um, but then the other thing is to not disrupt the flow at the surface layer. Am I correct in all those things?
1: Yes, you are correct. Um, okay. It's very important not to... You know, emulsify or, um, you know, so the inclusions are lighter in nature, right? The non-metallic oxides that are inclusions are lighter in nature, so we want to allow them to float up through the tundish bath. Um, they're less mm-hmm. dense, and, and they collect in that layer of steel slag yeah. that, that sits on top of the tundish bath. Now, when when it's too turbulent in nature, you're going to start pulling those guys back down on the bath where they, where you don't want them, or it's not desirable to that and how you want to dissipate, you know, the, the large eddy that's coming into the tundish and kind of mm-hmm. it's controlling that. And it's, but it's also uh, reduced the turbulence amount as possible, but it's going to redistribute the steel in the tundish uh, cleanly as possible or to, or to use that vol- volume utilization and, and uh, other, other factors, resonant time, volume utilization and everything else.
0: So what's the idea behind the JAWS system? What's going on there that that makes it work so well? Well,
1: you kind of hit the nail on the head earlier, Griffin, when you talk about, you know, the, the annular internal uh, geometry where they, you have these annular uh, or fins, if you want to refer to them as that uh, in a shark. Um, so you have these multiple fins on the internal part of your shape that are situated vertically in the internal portion of the shape and come to form the teeth on the overhang. So, so these fins and teeth um, act as knives and they to take the large eddy scale formation from the ladle cut it into smaller more controlled reduced scale eddy formations that allow us to dissipate and control that turbulence and redistribute it throughout through the tundish
0: and uh and how much better does it work i mean quantitatively if you if you could
1: yeah so through hwi's technology partners uh interflow Techserve, we have done extensive simulations both physical or water modeling and or computer or cfd modeling Uh, for different customers and different tundishes using the the current customer tundish setup and flow modifiers and then optimizing sometimes with jaws alone uh, other times with jaws in combination with different types of baffles dams and or weirs in our models we have seen up to a 23 percent increase in minimum residence time just by simply replacing the customer's current impact pad with our jaws technologies in our models we have also seen a 35 to 38 improvement in Inclusion flotation efficiency simply by replacing a customer's current impact pad with our jaws technology, uh, and in fact, in one in one study, we saw a 90% improvement in inclusion flotation efficiency by introducing our jaws technology in combination with other flow modifiers.
0: Wow, but you know, taking it out of the the computer and putting it into reality—something I can really hold in my hand. What is actually being improved for the customer in the end is it is it like uh the, the casting time is it product quality is it the human factor
1: uh human workload i would say no um casting time i would say we do not want to affect a customer's casting time
0: that, makes uh, that would be
1: bad <laughs> um but uh product quality absolutely that's that's the key feature we're looking at here is, is product quality our goal here is to, is to make Help our customer make the cleanest steel as possible, optimize steel flow within the tundish. Um, we want to allow those any inclusions that they may see in the bath to float out. So it's, it's all about helping our customers make cleaner steel and uh, higher product quality.
0: Okay. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah.
1: All that and including reduced scrap, which would be our intermixing or hybrid steels we may see um, as we cast one grade and move on to casting another dissimilar grade on that same uh, sequence.
0: Right. And does, does this work in all types of tundishes, multi-strand, single strand, are there any key differences between them?
1: Well, I'll just start off and say that the key features uh, in the tundish, in our JAWS pad, the internal portions and internal channels and shark teeth are incorporated into all of our JAWS impact pads. Um, Unfortunately, of course, there's not a one size fits all solution. Uh, HWI, you know, works with Interflow Tech Serve again, um, and to design our customer shapes uh, that give our customers the best possible solution. Um, there are a significant amount of data collection in the front end of the design phase, and we need to know customer-specific practices and geometries you know, before we can recommend a, a, a shape and, and develop a study that, that would give our customers the best possible solution.
0: So this isn't some off-the-shelf solution. This is something you work with customers to make sure that it, it fits their situation in the best possible way. I mean, truly optimizing, right?
1: Uh, correct. Right. These are, okay. again, custom shapes that are designed around specific customer specifications and practices.
0: Okay. And finally, what everyone wants to hear before they get in the cage that stands as the only barrier between them and the sharks, has this been used successfully before?
1: Um, Yeah, so currently, HWI has about half a dozen customers that have completely converted to the JAWS Impact Pad. And we got about another half a dozen customers uh, that are in various trial phases of uh, adopting the the JAWS technologies, keeping in mind that this is still a relatively new technology. Um, And HWI are using these customers in single and multi-strand tunnishes for thin slab, conventional slab, and billet casting machines.
0: Very cool. I think that was uh, an adequate amount of knowledge to sink our teeth into. An old adage that I really enjoy says, we stand on the shoulders of giants. But, you know, even just knowing that, it's awesome that we can still make significant improvement to processes while standing there. Big ups to Fred and the guys he worked with at Interflow TechServe in creating this improved technology. If you've caught the scent of blood in the water and want to learn more, be sure to reach out to us at technical-marketing at thinkhwi.com. And do me a favor and take the bait when I ask you to like, subscribe, and leave a review for your favorite refractory podcast. Thanks for listening and enjoy Shark Week.